Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different it's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course so if people are interested you can google wayfinder life coach training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way yes you will hi i'm martha beck and i'm rowan mangan You've come to another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I myself have been trying to figure it out lately from under a blanket with a flashlight. Marty came and made a blanket fort in our living room and somehow that led to her figuring it out. Well, yeah, I mean, forts in general are the place where you figure it out. Mm. Yeah, like the the Battle of the Alamo, for Mm -hmm. example, the Alamo was a fort if you don't, if you're Australian and you don't know. I should learn about this for my citizenship test. And that's the problem. There were people there. They figured it all out. This is the problem with forts. They figure, people go in there, they figure things out, and then everyone kills them. I feel like we just started this podcast about 10 seconds ago, and already you're like, this is the thing about forts. <laughs> well, it reminded me of when I was teaching business school. Uh-huh. No kidding. There's a, there's a place called Alamo Car Rental. I don't know <laughs> if it's still running. But the challenge for all the students, they got in these different groups and they had to create an advertising pitch for whatever company it was. And these poor kids did a whole massive presentation called Safe as the Alamo. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, you do know that everyone died, right? And they were like, oh. But see, this, that is why I saw, I thought that. I thought that. I saw that and I thought, that's the thing. You go in the fort, you figure it out, you die because you no longer need to be on earth because you figured it out. Gotcha. So don't make a blanket fort. 
Unless you're ready to die. That's my... And tell that to all the kitties out there. So it wasn't so much that they died. They just finished the game. They finished, yeah. Yeah, they completed it. It's like, what's your next next project, Davy Crockett? He was (laughs) like, well, I was going to make another raccoon skin hat, but I just figured everything out. And now, (laughs) dead. That's, I don't know. It's a sad story. It's a transcendent story. (laughs) It's got something for everyone. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Can I say that when I do my US citizenship test and they quiz me on this stuff? I think you have to. I think it's one of those things you have to know. (laughs) I'll, I'll say... The Alamo, of course, is a story of redemption. (laughs) (laughs) And raccoon hats that never quite happened. Poor raccoons. Anyway, seriously, Ro, what are you actually really in your life trying to figure out? So I have this thing. I don't know if this is everyone, but and I don't know if it's age or not age, but um, I have these blank spaces in my brain quite often increasingly (laughs) there's just these blank spaces and you know how you kind of reach into your brain for a piece of information or a word or an anecdote or something the way you would reach for in on the shelf no I don't physically have to reach for things inside my brain no I don't I do it like by internal telekinesis oh right you get books off the shelf by telekinesis (laughs) sorry go on I wasn't getting books off the shelf I was getting tins of kidney beans <laughs> of course you were because that's exactly like figuring it out and so there's you know how you can just like you can't think of the word that's everyone has that thing of what's that word what's that word and often um just as a side note you notice how like if I can't think of the word and I say you know that word and you know what I mean but because I can't think of it then you can't think oh, of yes, it. oh yes that happens that's funny isn't it not funny it's terrifying <laughs> It's like your forgetfulness can make my brain go blank. And so sometimes there's just um, repetitive blank spaces for me. And one of them is, and I've taken a note here so that it doesn't happen live because no one needs that. But the word fleece is generally a complete blank spot (laughs) in my brain. (laughs) And when, when you have a toddler... And you live in the northeastern United States and it's winter. That's a word that comes up. It It tends to come up. Fairly often. And (laughs) so in my brain, my little brain hand reaches out to grab fleece. And what my brain (laughs) gives it is felt. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what is that? And so it's like I go brain. This happens so often. Are you, like, you guys think I'm joking. I'm not. This happens so often. I go, okay, brain, I need that stuff. I need the word for that stuff. And my brain goes, felt. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You remember how we always go to felt and it's not felt. It's the other thing. Similarish word, but like and my brain goes, mm, mm. And then it thinks. <laughs> that's what it does. And then it goes, felt. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn it. It's not fell. Yeah, are you familiar with the term fleece as in to fool someone and take their money? Like, oh, like totally I hadn't. So I'm imagining you going into the police and <laughs> some man has taken your purse or something and you say, that that young man totally, and you mean to say fleeced me, but instead you say he felt me. And now the guy is up for an assault charge. And it's all because you are reaching for Things in your brain with telekinesis, like a can of kidney beans. I don't even understand that metaphor. No, I don't either. Well, I feel you. 
I please you. <laughs> this is all so confusing. Honey, please save me. What are you trying to figure out? I'll make you a little sign. Well, mine is, I think, much more serious. Okay. <clears throat> it's about shame. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And specifically what I have always called waves of shame. I, I, I think other people probably call it that too. <laughs> but <laughs> you have to understand, I get tsunamis of shame. Waves of shame can hit me out of nowhere. And this is literally true. I will go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Listeners, first of the night, this is literally true, Martha Beck. I occasionally, when I have a wave of shame about some embarrassing or terrible thing that I did and someone else was involved, sometimes I go online and Google to see if maybe they're dead. Because <laughs> that's the only way I can cope. It's like, oh, thank God he's dead. Because if and they're alive, they're probably still thinking about it. Huh? Exactly. And the one that has hit me recently, it was so bad. And I was only like 16 years old. So this was like 400 years ago. And I used to go jogging every day, jog, jog, jog. And I like to go out to this mountain path. But to go out the mountain path, you had to go along this long walkway through two hedges with trees around them. And one spring, a blackbird put up a nest in one of those trees. And blackbirds are very territorial. This is a fairy tale. This is not something that happens <laughs> No, this is, this is the, what happens when we grow up in Utah. Utah. So I would go jogging along and the blackbird would see me coming and he'd swoop to the first tree. And as I ran past the first tree, he would dive bomb me and like and try to get in my hair and whatnot. And then he'd go up to the next tree and wait for me. And I'd run past that and he would dive bomb me again, like all the way down the row. And so, it was long. So when you Googled him, was he still alive? <laughs> <laughs> I found that he just Googled me. No, but I got, at first it was like, okay, it's a blackbird. It's not going to hurt me. And then it's like, no, it, I was like Tippy Hedren in the birds. Like, it's definitely going to hurt me. Yeah. So one day I just thought, I can't handle this anymore, but I want to go on my route. I'm going to take back my power. So I got this stick and I was like, I'm, I'm coming for you, blackbird. The best defense is a good offense. And I would jog along, juggity, juggity, jog. And here comes the hedge and I'm so ready to like fight. Yeah. And I jog in. <laughs> No blackbird. It was like eerily silent. Yeah. I'm like, where is he? Where Too is he? Quiet. Jogging, jogging. He's hiding in some, one of these trees. He's going to dive bomb me any minute. And I just got to a fever pitch. And then I heard him behind me. <gasps> and I whirled and I waved my stick <laughs> frantically. And I said, why don't you just leave me alone, you little bastard? Get out of my life. <laughs> and Ro, <laughs> it was a little old man on a bicycle. <laughs> And I felt so bad. Oh, well, how did he respond? He looked so hurt. He stopped his bicycle. <laughs> and he just looked so sad. And I waved my did stick. He say, did he say, I've always considered you a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was too sad. Oh. So I kept waving my stick because the best thing to do in these instances is to pre pretend you mean it. Lean into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lean just, into it. And yeah. I said... Sorry, I thought you were a bird. <laughs> and I don't think that made him feel better. And then he just, I just had to jog on and he just stood there with his little bicycle waiting for me to get out of his life. And I, I don't even know his name, so I can't... Uh, Google him. Make sure he's dead. Make sure he's pretty sure he is <laughs> after that. Anyway, I don't know what to do with my waves of shame. Things like this come back in the night and they wake me up and haunt me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe this is like therapy for you. Maybe this like just talking it's about it 
we'll get Getting get it out, out of your system. There. I'm sure there are so many people listening who've done exactly the same thing. You know what I can't help wondering though? What? Where was the bird? I know. Right? Like when you think about it, it's a bit suspicious that the bird's gone and this guy completely innocently just turns up. And I up. never saw them together. I think he was trying to fleece you. <laughs> well, he certainly felt me. That's what he did. Yeah, he felt your stick. <laughs> I, I said, "Do you feel me?" And then I ran away, <laughs> and I'm still running inside my heart to this day. I feel so bad for that man. Oh, you're a funny girl. <sighs> we'll be right back with more bewildered. I have a little favor to ask. Would you consider giving us a little rate and review, love, on your favorite podcast player? helps people find the podcast it builds this beautiful community most of all it helps us in our quest to bewilder the world thank you so much change eh Mm, it sure does keep happening i feel like there's something that you martha beck have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So as many of our listeners know, Marty, on this podcast, we help people from a state of bewilderment Mm -hmm to be wilderment to their wild true nature you know this yeah go a little wild find yourself yeah so today what we're talking about is what we what what i call what i what i call perfection paralysis and that is as you've probably guessed the feeling that you can't do anything unless it's perfect and there's – oh, it's a juicy one, really. It really is. And what's so interesting about it is we were chatting about this in preparation for the podcast and we realised that we both had really different sort of perspectives on this idea of, of perfectionism, which I didn't expect because I thought we all know what perfectionism yeah. is. But no, they're different things. No, no, no. Mine is just completely social. Mm. Mine is this will be judged. I have to, I have to make sure that it, nobody's upset with this. That it's the right thing. That it's impressive. Um, it's it's the whole go to school, get shame for doing it wrong, mm. get rewarded for doing it right. So from any anything I do, I mean, it happened today. I was painting away. I have I scheduled an appointment for two subsequent weeks, and it was really only for one. So I happily, this is the life of an ADD person. It's like, I made a mistake in my own favor. So I had a free hour, and I went, and I got my paints out, and I started painting and painting, and then Ro came in, and I was like, it's only an underpainting. It's only an underpainting. And she's like... I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> this, it's actually worse than that because I had called her on the way on my way home to see if she needed anything or just because we're really ridiculously codependent. And I said to her, how are you doing? What have you been up to? And she's like, okay, so I've been painting. When you come in, <laughs> I want you and you look at my work, what I want you to bear in mind is 
this is an underpainting. This isn't what it will look like. And then you said it again when I came in. Yeah, it's true. I have to say also that I got paint all over myself, which I, you know, most people <laughs> forgive. But then I went in to say hi to the baby. <laughs> and I didn't, she'd never seen me covered with paint. And you were in your long underwear and you just came out. And I had said, to be in my long underwear because if you wear your regular clothes when you're painting, you get paint on them. I know, so, so you have to take off your regular clothes and be in your un- underwear. So she just walks out to say hi to the baby and the first thing out of her mouth is, I took off my trousers. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said pants because you're American. I but took, I like trousers better. I took off my pants. <laughs> I took off my pants. So I went, I, my face was relatively clean. So I went to give the baby a kiss and she <laughs> smiled at me. And then I went to hug her and she looked at my hands, which were completely covered with paint. Mm. And the look of disgust that came into that <laughs> child's eyes. And she put, she planted her own hand firmly in the center of my face on the nose area mm. and pushed very hard. And as I have <laughs> told this group, our listeners before, this is an extremely strong baby. Mm. I mean, my head bounced off the opposite wall. Um, it's weird how I don't care that the baby is disgusted with me because I figure she'll grow out of it. Mm. But you coming into the room and seeing a painting before it's finished, I could bear that as a scar that would go with me to my grave. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's because I'm, I was so geared toward high achievement. And there, there's school, and then there's also being raised really religious. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other In a monotheistic level. religion. That is a religion with one God, one way. Because like a lot of Eastern religions are like, oh, you got a God? Oh, let's add it to ours. That's cool. You want to do that way? Oh, that's one of the ways. Let's do that. But the monotheistic religions are like, no, there's one way. And if you don't do it, you are going down. So that's what my perfection is. (laughs) Who's going to hurt me? (laughs) Yeah. and, And so for me, what I realized is that when I think about perfectionism, it's about not being able to like to start something because the minute any anything of it exists outside of my mind and the beautiful idea I had of it, it ceases to be perfect as it always is when I imagine it, right? Well, I completely got I got I got completely off track because my next line is Plato's theory of forms and I don't know anything about Plato's theory of forms. So I was googling it. <laughs> Oh, God. Maybe we should just leave this in as an example. I know a little bit about Plato's theory of forms. It's just, it's probably wrong to Google the thing that you're planning to talk about on a podcast while recording the podcast. But that's just how I do. Um, So, yeah. When I used to teach art, what happens is that when you ask someone to draw like a table or a building... They think in their head that table is square and they make it square. The brain sees a perfect square when it looks at a table, but the eye is actually seeing a trapezoid. Like the the brain translates things into their perfect forms. So the platonic image of a square is what you have in your mind and you may never see it in real life. You may only see trapezoids, but you'll still have this idea of the perfection of the square. And then when you set out to do something, because I know you, I know how you do, Mm. you're going to write a poem or you're going to make a baby or whatever it is you're going to (laughs) do. And you're like, I know exactly what I want. 
Yeah. And then I'll say to you, let's go do it. And you're like, <gasps> how dare you? <laughs> I know. And the most common thing is like, she'll be like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, look, I just Googled it. Little song, little dance, little seltzer down your pants. Here we go. And she's like, how could you? <laughs> how could you mar the perfection of this beautiful thing that I am creating in my mind? And I'm like, I just push it out there. It doesn't matter as long as nobody else sees it. Because for me, it's about the other people. Oh, but for yeah. you, yeah. it's about you. <laughs> That's a harsh critic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just disappointing when something perfect, you know. Actually, I'm thinking, I forget who said it, but it's a. Um, Someone said perfection is terrible. It cannot have children. Ooh, I like Hmm. that. Yeah, and... No offense to anyone out there who is either perfect or cannot (laughs) have children. I don't think you can offend the perfect. I think by definition, they're unoffendable. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember uh, there's a writer who said that in your mind, the story you want to tell is this beautiful butterfly. It's this soaring thing, Mm. and then you put words on it you do your very best you polish it up and it's still just like a dead insect pinned to a cork board like Mm. it's just lifeless compared to what you dreamed it would be yeah every time and and isn't it like maybe that's what what we all need to like learn at the alamo is that we like to to be able to get over that process that like to keep making things despite their like stubborn insistence on not being perfect. You know, there's this thing called deep practice or Mm. dedicated practice that I talk about a lot in coaching. And it starts when someone has a really beautiful idea. So they they look at it with people, for example, who are um, musicians and kids who are being taught music and they don't really care. They just repeat their scales or whatever and they improve at a certain rate. And then there are the kids who hear something perfect either they've heard a recording or somebody playing or in their own heads they they hear it perfectly and they try to do it and with you know it's like a four-year-old with a violin trying to do that it's well nigh impossible and they get really intensely like gripped around it and there's a certain Mm. facial expression that you see with people and it's not fun it's like this (laughs) intensity and you may even make the same sounds. And we see our one-year-old making these, trying to walk and manipulate things. And it's like, (laughs) and they try really hard to create that platonic beauty, that perfection. And they always fall short, but then they're like, and here's how, and here's how I'm going to do it again. And they learn more in six minutes of practice than other kids learn in a month. Wow. So in a way, I mean, if you're a perfectionist and this is a problem for you, if you're Rose kind of perfectionist, <laughs> I'm just like a complete slut. If you like it, it's good enough for me. <laughs> um, but maybe use that as a real strength. I mean, that if you can mm. get yourself past the paralysis of the perfection, it can drive you to that deep practice that'll make you great. But getting started is the problem. Well, getting started, but also finishing. Mm-hmm. You know, we had we had this conversation about this that that sort of took us in the direction of, huh? Beginnings and endings are where perfectionism is because you can't begin because the minute you put pen to paper, it, the perfection dissolves, or you and or you put pen to paper, but you can always make it better, make it better, make it better until you put the final full stop and send it and 
this is really interesting to us at the moment because we have this um, resolution, shall I say? A new year. A new year resolution. Close to the beginning of the year. Yes. And our resolution is about, in a way, is, is trying to address this tendency of not being able to start or finish or both basically we just lie around <laughs> thinking wouldn't it be awesome yeah but what if people didn't like it <laughs> it'd be so beautiful we just lie there so tell them about our resolution so a resolution comes from a very smart man by the name of seth godin who talks about shipping the work yeah. you've got to ship the work and he talked about this in his latest book which I'm just blanking on. Google it right now while you're (laughs) making the podcast. Yeah, Seth Godin is a genius, and he's so good at um, making things brief, simple, and punchy that help you sort of get yourself in the zone of productivity, creativity. I hate that word, productivity. Ah, yuck. Um, that's, That's the voice of the oppressor right there. But creativity can be joyous and fun, and perfectionism is its major enemy, the yeah. practice is the, the name practice. of Seth Godin's book. And I would just like to say yes. more perfectionistic types than me might have insisted on stopping the recording while I got this information out of fear that not knowing it immediately ruined this episode of the podcast. No, no, I don't care. You're going to get to my level where you just do whatever crap comes to your face mm-hmm. and then... <laughs> For decades afterward, you experience mortifying waves of shame that make you want to die. Oh, my God. But at least it's out there. I mean, so much of what I've written is, to me, the just absolute dreck. I mean, it's just horrible. Some of it, I I can't say the ones. But there's... (laughs) There's a book in particular that didn't actually get edited. They they kind of published my rough draft without... I mean, I sent them a rough draft and they sent me a finished book and it had <laughs> things in it like notes to my editor. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you say you liked that book. Yeah, I loved it. Oh my God, I'm so... Oh. Everyone, well, go read all of oh, Martha's no, no, back no, catalog no. now and Don't. figure out I've which never book it is. Book. Ignore it. Pretend I never said anything. Okay, so here we are <laughs> right in the place that yeah. people get to, right? And so there's, in Asia, there's a proverb that says beginning is half the task. Mm. Getting past that initial thing of how can I make this into something that either won't offend other people, will please them and get me praised, and or will fit the beautiful ideal I have in my head. Getting from nothing, I always say when I'm writing, getting from nothing on the page to something on the Mm. page is 90% of the work. Yeah. And it can be absolute crap. Getting from something on the page to something better is another 9%. And for me, 1% is just pressing send because I'm so sick of it. But you yeah. have trouble at the end. You're always like polishing. Yeah. And um, we were reading Marie Folio's work. And one of the things that she says that was also quite um, illuminating on this topic is she talks about start before you're ready. Like if some, from a sort of entrepreneurial standpoint you know people with creative ideas who want to you know create businesses and they um they they're waiting to be ready yeah and so I love that like just start before you're ready just start hit the ground running go and then what you were saying was start before you're ready and finish 
before you feel done, right? Yeah, I, I audited a class by a famous watercolor artist once. And he's really, really successful. Like being a working artist today and making a lot of money is not easy. Um, he did these incredible watercolors. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Why is it nerdy and special and aren't you wonderful if you audit a class, but you're an evil demon if you audit someone's taxes? Hmm. I think actually I probably was perceived as an evil demon auditing that class. Good. Please go on okay. with your story. Moving forward then. <laughs> you little bastard, why don't you just get out of my life? <laughs> That's what the teacher would shout every time I came in to audit. <laughs> but um, watercolor is this, it is a cruel task, mistress. Aww. Yeah, you put the paint on the page and you wait like half an hour to see what it's going to do. And, the, and it, if you overpaint it by one stroke you've ruined the whole thing and you cannot erase mm. so he used to say over and over again stop before you're finished uh, stop yeah. before you're finished so start before you're ready and stop before you're finished this is our resolution yeah so that we can ship the work and ship the work ship the work i mean we should sort of point out what seth godin means by ship the work not oh, in literal ships always well i mean it depends how fancy you are but no he's he's just talking about what like you can make it's it's another version of the perfectionism you can make something amazing and it's in your drawer what good is it to the world you know so it's about sharing what you've made yeah essentially it's not actually finished until it's shared yeah yeah which is very powerful because i think for me what is really liberating about this as a kind of theme for us for the year Marty is that like usually what happens is I have my focus on the quality of what I'm making mm -hmm. and and so all the stories I tell myself about what I'm doing and and everything is built around the quality of the thing mm. whereas if what my priority is is have I shipped it mm. and I give myself my internal dopamine kind of accolades for shipping it it's weird. Like I'm actually susceptible to just being like, go me. <laughs> well done. You know, it's interesting. I think people who are perfectionistic will have more success with this because one of the things I've seen is people coming and saying, you know, I've never really read a book, but I wrote this <laughs> 150,000 word novel about my, my first romance and it just flowed. It just wrote itself. And I, I always go, oh my God, this must be inspired. And then I read it and it's like, oh yes, this is like something that just flowed out of you. <laughs> Potentially in the little room. You know? It's not good. So if you have a tendency to just throw stuff out there and expect it to be, I don't know, is this too harsh? No, I think it's fine. But I, I do think like I, I know a little bit about our listenership and I think we've got a few perfectionists on board. I think we've board. got a few perfectionists. The bewildered ship. So <laughs> if you have a little perfectionism in you, then actually sending out the work is kind of on two counts, a kind of moral imperative. Mm. Because if you don't send it, you're robbing the world of the gift that you were meant to give. Yeah. And you're not respecting... The, the work you've done if it doesn't match the ideal you're, you're basically dissing it and yeah. saying it's not good enough yeah what do you think about this idea marty if you if you have something beautiful that you've made 
that is that should be for the world. I'm not, you know, like we're not saying send your journal, your private diary out <laughs> to the New York Bro, Times. I have not once but twice published my <laughs> extensive sections of my journals. So, um that aside, um yeah, if you've made something that the that the world needs, then there, there's a type of hubris, a type of um, arrogance in in refusing to share it because we all know it's it's a vulnerable thing to do, one of the the nastiest vulnerable things to do, and so to uh, sometimes I think to avoid um, that terrifying sense of vulnerability, we just we keep it locked in, and and I put to you. That that is selfish. Selfish? Yes. Rude and selfish. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And that means that when you send your imperfection out into the world, mm. what you're doing is you're, you're basically bowing. It's a, it's a humility mm. in the face of your limited potential to create, but your effort, you know, you want to do it. You're, so you're giving yourself respect. And then you're allowing other people to see this thing that you don't think is perfect. It reminds me of, um, I don't know if I actually heard Glennon Doyle say this or if I just saw her somewhere on a speech or something, but she said for the longest time she wrote this blog and it was getting increasingly popular and she said, I didn't feel like a writer. All I would do is I vowed that I would press send every day, just press send. And she was very, very, she's extremely vulnerable to perfectionism mm. but by just pressing send she um has reached the heights of everything it's almost like <laughs> reframing um you know the ego wants to think because we're so self-centered right like i've made this thing it's all about me i'm being judged when i send it out there but if we reframe the shipping the giving of it mm -hmm. to other people as service then you know because if you've if you've written something that can help people, if you haven't, well, keep it. Whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> or put it out there and let them decide. I mean, well, so much true. of what you did a you did a, a an article for a publication I, I that did. went absolutely nuts. People loved it. It was in Maria Shriver's Sunday paper, and you told me as you were working on it, this is not going to help anyone. And the thing went nuts. It was so helpful, but you'd overthought it mm. in your little platonic theory of forms way until it couldn't <laughs> help anybody. And, but you did ship the work. You shipped the work. And then you yeah. got like thousands of people going, oh, thank you so much. I needed that. Yeah. Which yeah. is, and, and then if, if you get negative feedback, worst case scenario, I've had that happen too. It's like being punched in the face by your own baby. And I know because it's happened. <laughs> um, you know what? That's a type of humility too because it makes you say, okay, I accept that mm. this feedback is accurate and I am going to do better in the future. Yeah. And, and you become a much humbler person as you do that. I mean, messing up in public is basically a short trip to letting go of your ego. Mm. Yeah, it's spiritual growth really. Yeah. yeah. Like the first time I ever spoke, in, I was in high school and I had this terrible fear of public speaking. And I, I had a crush on a guy on the debate team, so I went to a debate tournament in impromptu speaking. Ended up in a room with a judge. I was supposed to give a speech, impromptu. Passed out cold. Mm. Boom! On the ground. Woke up. The dude was looking down at me going, do you want to just leave? And I was like, no, I'm going to finish my speech. So I got so up, finished you. the speech, went out, and lost horrendously. But never 
It's funny. I still have a fear of public speaking. I just don't care. Huh. That reminds me. I wrote an article once for Oprah Magazine where it, it was all about, I'm still a perfectionist, but now I don't care. Huh. Yeah. That's a, really, that's a way to ship the work. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's also like, it's like you can be that and other things. What? Say more. Well, like, you know, I'm just like thinking through what you just said. Like, okay, I'm a perfectionist, but it's not the only thing I am. I'm also a professional. I will send my work by my deadlines, you know, and I can I can make that a, a priority above my perfectionism. Well, that's interesting to, because it is very professional to show up when you don't feel ready and let something go before you feel it's finished. That's true. Yeah. Um, work as hard as you can on it, but that beginning paralysis and ending paralysis, like take it as a task in itself to just get through those two phases. Yeah, because it seems to me that if you if you want to make something beautiful or helpful in the world, then there's a great generosity to sharing it. Mm. And, you know, like... <laughs> It's a contribution. It's like if your choice is, um, you know, like music or not music. Right. <laughs> I prefer music. I prefer art music or as not well. art. I prefer art to not yeah. art. You yeah. Know? So I love it. <laughs> I do too. Sometimes when I'm it, except under paintings. Oh, under they're terrible. You know what? There were when I was teaching all these uh, um, students how to draw realistically. When I was a teaching fellow at Harvard, um, drink. Drink for Harvard. Um, I would get so critical that I would like go to an exhibit of the impression, the French Impressionists, <laughs> and I go, "Oh, Renoir, Oof. <laughs> learn your person. Oh my God, you're making that mistake. You are insufferable. You know that. I am. And it would turn out if you look at the underpainting, he'd gone over it like four hundred times oh. trying to get it right. Oh my God, do I know only that to be insulted by some uppity some- little Harvard? Little, yeah. Brat. I bet if he had a stick and he could have just waved it at me, <laughs> said, get out of my life. Um, of my but life. he's dead now, so it's okay. <laughs> Thank God. I just Googled it and I can confirm Renoir is dead. Okay, good. Okay. Um, anyway, I love the point you just made because it was a big aha for me. Say it. And that is that the opposite of perfectionism is not sloppiness. The opposite of perfectionism is generosity. Mm. Hmm. I had never thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's abundance mindset stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Because we all have some kind of beauty or wisdom that's flowing through us. And it, it comes into our attention and we think, oh, maybe I should share that. And then the perfectionist paralysis says, no, don't even think about sharing it. Don't think about sharing it because you yourself will be judged Mm-hmm. And so if we can accept the spiritual growth that says, yes, I very well could be judged for this, but it's actually not about me. It's about mm. the work and get over that kind of ego monkey puzzle. Remember when we did that writing course and one of the, I think my absolute favorite writing exercise that we gave people and it brought out such amazing stuff in people's, as they wrote, we said, Imagine the worst thing in your life, the worst experience in your life as a cave that you got stuck in at one point, but then you found your way out. Mm. And as you're leaving the cave, somebody's coming toward you who's about to go into that same experience. Yeah. Whether, you know, I don't know, a breakup, an illness, bankruptcy, whatever it is. 
and they're about to go into it and you're coming out of it back into the light mm. and you can write them a one page letter to help them get through it. Now go yeah. and, and how to get out because you oh, now know how to get out. My God, the, the stuff people turned mm. out. I mean, they went past writing talent and they got to this rawness and, and, and generosity of spirit, mm. just love and compassion and empathy. Yeah. And it just, they sent in these pieces, thousands of them that were just shining. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, if that's the opposite of perfectionism. Bring it. Yeah, bring it on. And, and if other people are better, if they outcompete you, if they find flaws in your work, if the, every, every author has had the experience, um, Anne Lamott said this, of um, her editor coming to work on her manuscript and they worked on it together. And she said, and then I saw her one morning fresh, um, in the bathroom brushing her long, angry teeth. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's how it feels when someone's editing your book. But let the humility um, come to save you there too. Mm. Be generous enough to say your your ideas might be better than mine. Let's give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it, Marty. All right. And let's stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570 570- Eight seven three zero one four four. For more of us, Martha's on Instagram, the Martha Beck. She's on Facebook, the Martha Beck, and she's on Twitter, Martha Beck. Her website is marthabeck.com. And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan, and I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.